Are you a service-based business owner looking to increase profits to fund your lifestyle? Well, this podcast is for you. We bring you inspirational guests sharing actionable tips to solve many of the struggles you face each and every day. And now, over to your host, Paul Higgins. Hello to the Build Live Give podcast. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. And if you enjoy it, please subscribe. If you're a regular, thanks for your support. Love to get your feedback at paul at buildlivegive.com. It means the world to me when you do. Welcome to Take Notes, and the interviews are fully transcribed. Our guest is someone who moved from Utah to the Bay Area with his wife's work, and this was the catalyst for three startups, one with a very successful exit to WeWork. The last is my favorite, or his current, I suppose. It may not be his last, but his current is my favorite SaaS platform for 2020. So why listen? How to capture video snippets with ease using Zoom. Practical uses for recording human moments and how vulnerability leads to success. They've kindly given a free upgrade to their amazing platform at the end. So over to Mike Adams from Grain.co. Welcome, Mike Adams from Grain.co to the Build, Live, Give podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today, Mike. Absolutely excited to be here. Thanks so much, Paul. I've uh, been using your product now for, I'd probably say three months, but you know how you always think that it's less than it actually is. So it's probably a little more about that and it's brilliant. So we're going to get a lot more into to what it does and how people like myself use it. But why don't we kick off with something family or friends know about you that we may not? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I'm really weird, I just brought this up yesterday, we we're doing some more with some friends is as far as I'm aware, the only person I know that watches television and movies at two to two and a half times speed. And I swear by it religiously, I won't, like I can, if I'm like really cinematically into it and it's all about the experience, but if I'm just there for like the story or to like, you know, watch it because, you know, I want to know what happens all about watching it at the same speed. I would watch a podcast. It's something really weird. So do me a favor. How do I watch Netflix at two and a half times speed? So in the world of HTML5, where everything is just, all videos are a HTML element, there are Chrome extensions and Firefox extensions. The one I use in Chrome is called Video Speed Controller. It has shortcuts on it, and I use the shortcuts to speed up and slow down, depending on kind of like the pace of what's happening. Sometimes you need to slow down a little below two if it's like really dense. Sometimes people are just like walking around and I'm like kind of bored. I definitely have ADD, so like that's part of it as well. I'll use the X key to skip forward 15 seconds, the Z to go back if I miss something. And generally, I would say I can, yeah, like I watched The Undoing on HBO. There's three episodes, they're each about 52 minutes, and I watched them all in a little less than an hour. And I love it. Like, otherwise, I wouldn't watch TV. And I love TV. So it's like, that's my hack. It's weird. And people get mad. Like, they don't like it. They're like upset that I do this. They feel like I'm like ruining the artistry. Well, with the. You know, three children on startup, I can understand why you wouldn't have any other time. But look, um, you know, I'm the same with, and do you just stream it from your computer then? Because, you know, I try to do it on my, my large TV and it never works right. So you're just streaming it from your... Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, that's where I prioritize using a computer. Um, so yeah, if it's on a big TV, yeah, I'm watching at regular time speed. But I tend to put on headphones. Oh, headphones is a huge part of this as well. I'm another slight fact is out of the blue signed up for an Ironman next summer I'm training for. And so I get a lot of time sitting on the trainer bike that yeah. is 
well spent watching <laughs> TV and talks and startup, you know, and podcasts at two, two times speed. But uh, I always pull my computer out in front of me, in front of my bike. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'll definitely take that out because I'm the same. I'll listen to anything on my computer. It's always, you know, video speed control is what I use and also podcasts. Yep. I'm two and a half to three, yep. but it just depends on the person. But yeah, hey, I'm exactly the same. So thanks for that. I, I don't know if anyone else out there, like, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but certainly, you know, with audio, et cetera. And, and like I use uh, an app called Voxer for oh, all, nice. my, all my comms and you can do that at three times speed as well. Um, yeah, once you get used to it, it's not like the chipmunks. It's actually better than, better than it sounds. So look, you've had an amazing career, three startups. You know, you've been involved with uh, Open Table. You've had an exit to WeWork, an amazing career. Just give us a quick summary of that because it's just, uh, you know, too good to miss. Oh, thanks, man. Um, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of opportunity Really, a lot of it comes back to my family. My, I'm the first person in my family to ever graduate from college. And so I grew up, you know, building houses with my dad. He owned his own construction company. I always admired how much he, you know, how hard he worked and how he owned his own business. And so when I went to college, I was definitely like surprised at the end when I had all the student loan debt. And I was like, so who helps me get a job now? And I realized there was nobody. There was literally nobody. And fortunately, I had gotten a C in this like really hard economics class. And I had to retake it to try to get an A. And in the act of retaking it, I finally, for the first time, went into office hours and got to know a professor and just developed a relationship. We're, we're really close friends to this day. And we, we, cite, you know, uh, we follow each other in Strava and, and communicate still. And he helped me to get my first job. And it was great. I, so I worked in litigation consulting. My wife actually already had a job in the San Francisco Bay Area. I went to college in Utah. And uh, so we got this job in consulting. I became an Excel jockey and helped uh, lost, you know, uh, figure out how much damages were in lawsuits using, you know, Excel modeling. And it was fine. I knew I didn't want to be in the legal industry. And so I came across my, I really was at a party with uh, some friends in my, in my church community and met a guy that my wife had grew up with actually like a street away. And he was starting a new company and, and I was new to the whole Silicon Valley thing. I didn't know much about tech. And, and I was like, Hey, do you need any help? Like anything, you know, that I can do to help? Like I can, you know, I can, I can be your Excel jockey basically. And he said, sure. And so we paired up. I was kind of his first employee for a little while. And then eventually it was harder to raise money and harder to get to market. And we just, there was just after a while, it was just the two of us and we became co-founders. And uh, that was kind of falling backwards and just trying to be helpful into, you know, quitting my job and, and the two of us together. And that company, you know, has actually gone on to be very successful and is now uh, last valuation is a little over a uh, half a billion dollars. But I just kind of fell into it. Like I didn't really I knew I wanted to do tech. I've always loved tech, but it wasn't something I explicitly set out to do. I just, I wanted to be helpful and it kind of turned into what it was. But once I got a taste, I didn't actually stick around. The, the, the success of that company is largely attributed to my old co-founder and, and the team that was there. I had a lot of personal development I had to do from my emotional intelligence and learning how to work well with other people and, and you know, kind of uh, harbor and uh, rule in my ego. So I joined a company, what I really did is so I became a software engineer as I, in that process, I felt like, man, this is so debilitating to not be able to build my own software. And I have to pay these people overseas because I can't afford local developers and we can't raise venture capital because I don't have a track record. So I decided to become a software engineer and the timing was fortunate for me in that I was one of the first 15 students at what became kind of one of the most renowned coding boot camps called Hack Reactor. And I was a student. I learned to code. I got a job at OpenTable. It was really weird for me to be just like call myself a software engineer. And then suddenly I was. 
ultimately stayed there for about a year and realized I didn't, what I really wanted to do was kind of get back in the startup game, not so much like write code for a living. And, and I, you know, developed that ability to communicate with uh, engineers and so got back in the startup game and started a company called Mission U that uh, is a one-year alternative college, fully online. You attend class all day in Zoom. This was in 2016, so way before the COVID pandemic when this is pretty much normal and what people do now. We were like a bunch of weirdos on Zoom back in 2016. And uh, yeah, I met my co-founder actually just in, in research. I joined Seth Godin's Alt-MBA program. He was in there. I was in there. We just were like both looking to build the same thing at the same time, which is a better way to go to college, right? I graduated with a ton of debt and not a job. And I just really cared about helping people to get jobs focused on their skills, not so much just on their like prestigious education. So Mission U is about two years running and, and helped our students to get jobs and careers in data analytics. In fact, I was just on the phone with one of my former students this morning and he's doing a great, uh, has a great career now in customer success and, and is an awesome friend. And that ended about two years ago when we got acquired by WeWork. And I had identified this platform that we had built for ourselves along the way um, to manage the video recordings. And so we were recording everything inside of Mission U. Our lectures, our all-hands meetings, our sales calls, our admissions interviews. And we viewed these recordings as first-class data um, to make decisions and to inform decisions and to share and, and more effectively communicate. And so our platform we built to manage the recordings was really kind of running our business in a lot of ways. And so in the acquisition, I chose not to join WeWork and I started Grain, the company I co-founded and the CEO of now, right out of after that acquisition and raised some money some from my prior investors and partnered with my brother, actually. My brother, Jake, is uh, my co-founder and he uh, and I have been kind of building this thing from scratch and it's been about two years and the team we've built is just world-class, phenomenal people and and we were really excited about kind of what we built thus far and where we're going. So that's kind of the background. Brilliant. Well, look, uh, I've got so much to unpack there. So the, the first thing is, you know, did you grow up in Utah as well as go to uh, university there? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I was born in Utah. Like uh, you, you couldn't find someone with more uh, <laughs> uh, Mormon lineage than me. My uh, <laughs> great, 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 great grandpa, Hugh Adams, uh, was uh, in, in Scotland and jumped on a boat and joined the Mormons and went to Utah and became a polygamist and all that good stuff. And they don't do that anymore. But yeah, it's uh, my mom's side is the same thing. And so I grew up in Utah and it's a beautiful place. I absolutely love uh, people there and then the weather and um, well, most of the time, sometimes the weather's awful, but it is absolutely gorgeous. If you've never been to Utah, it is one of the prettiest places on the planet. And then Moved to California 10 years ago to the Bay Area, and then recently actually just relocated from the Bay Area down to South Orange County in June. Yeah. And, and you know, what was the driver for the move to Utah to the Bay? The key driver from Utah to the Bay was my wife's job, actually. She just, I felt like it was expensive. I was like, I don't know, we could just stay here in Utah and like I can get a good job. And, and I definitely wasn't thinking as big as, you know, maybe I could have been at the time, but she's a big thinker and she already had the job. One of the things about Utah and BYU and Mormon culture is you tend to get married really fast and really young. And so like we went to the same junior high school together, but we didn't stay in touch, met back up at BYU over like Thanksgiving. By December, we were dating. By Valentine's Day, we were engaged. By May, we were married. And so she had already had a job like that previous summer in San Francisco. And so I just kind of married her and the momentum, I kind of married her. I got lucky to marry her. I married her and then the momentum kind of carried us to San Francisco and it just kind of happened. I don't know that it was even a deliberate thing, but I, I feel like it's other than marrying my wife, it, it is one of the more lucky things that has happened to me. 
it looks like, you know, the professor was obviously a huge mentor and uh, help for you, but you talked about, you know, your emotional intelligence, your ego and check, et cetera, sort of, you know, did you, who helped you get that? Because I've got to say, you know, like, and I don't often say this, but you nearly felt like an Australian on the other end when we did some of the uh, pre-setup, right? You're, uh-huh. I've got a lot of American clients. If you're American listening now, I love you to death, but, you know, ego is, is not always in check. Let's just quietly <laughs> say that. Whereas <laughs> Australians are completely the opposite, right? We'll try to put anyone down, but the person we put down the most is ourselves. Right, so, right, yeah, right. So, yeah, did you get any help? Just tell us a little bit how you went through that. Look, man, I mean, I do think a lot of it does come to my Mormon upbringing. Like in Mormonism, it's not a touted part of the theology, but you are kind of taught like your potential is to become a God. And I liked that part of it. I was like, hey, man, like you mean after I die, like I can like create worlds and whatever else. And it was a big part of like the motivator for me. And so I'm not, you know, definitely as as devout as I once was, but that was a big part of it. And so I would say, you know, as a 20-something-year-old in San Francisco, you know, if you've watched the Silicon Valley parody, it is more truth than parody in a lot of ways. And it was really easy for me to just kind of get caught up in it and just feel like I had, you know, the right answers at all the right times. And, and so ultimately, my co-founder and I just like didn't see the world and the strategy the same way. And so ended up not working together anymore. And for a couple of years, I kept that like high ego, like, you know, kind of bitterness and frustration. And then he went on to build like a freaking killer, amazing company without me. And that was the most valuable learning lesson I ever could have had because I had at that point to be like, maybe it's me. <laughs> maybe I should look inside myself a little bit here. And like, you know, I think deep down I knew that, you know, I had some professional development and some emotional intelligence to work on, but that was just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And so as time went on, I had the opportunity to get exposed to things like T groups at Stanford Business School. I didn't go to Stanford, but I attended their continued learning and did some T groups. And it to me became one of the most important parts of what I recognized was going to help me to get to what I wanted to accomplish, which was to build great things. And it's like, yeah, I mean, sometimes Theranos and what's happened recently with Nikola Tesla and WeWork and some of these others where there's a big ego, you know, co-founder at the top that is just has this big vision and I guess I'd seen that play out. I'd seen that not play out. I, I think what I felt like was actually going to get me what I wanted was to be, you know, aware of people's emotions and, and aware of my own emotions and, and handle and manage myself in a way that would help me to get what I wanted. And so some of these, you know, experiences I had along the way and getting into a little bit more into meditation and as well as just helped me to just study emotional intelligence as if it's another field of discipline, which it really is. And kind of change a lot of the attributes around how I viewed myself and viewed the world. And I would say it has been the biggest, you know, professional development thing that I had the opportunity to work on and just trying to make myself someone that people want to work with and work for. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I've got to say my biggest ego check in life was leaving a company called Coca-Cola and then, uh-huh. the, next, and then the next day having, having your own company, it was like, Wow. You know, yeah. It's, it's amazing how much darker, you know, browner the grass is <laughs> on the other side once you're there, you know? It's like, hey, it's not so green. <laughs> Correct. It's like, uh, you know, actually, maybe no one cares about me. But uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Look, we'll go into the build section next. And, you know, Grain, we sort of talked a little bit about it. But when someone says to you, hey, Mike, you know, you've created Grain, you know, what's it do and uh, who's it for? What do you Yeah. Say? So, would love to answer that. So grain has been an 
awesome process of discovery in and of itself. And so, like I mentioned earlier, like it came out of my own needs building a video based, you know, a live online school that we needed to work with the data. And what I learned is that's just kind of half of it. Like if you need to manage, you know, your easy way to share recordings amongst the team to, you know, have a storage that doesn't disappear and like kind of build a library of, of video based knowledge. Yeah, that's one thing that it does. The other thing that it's been kind of growing and evolving to do, and probably some of the reasons, and I would love to hear your opinion on this, that people seem to be even more attracted to it, is that it's not just that it manages that content, it makes it more useful, right? It makes it more accessible and as easy to work with as text in a document. And so what Grain does is it, you connect your Zoom account or eventually really any video conference provider, um, and there's a notepad that pops up to where you can live annotate moments that matter in a conversation. And so you can stay and just really turn the notes that you would already normally take. You're one click away from being able to turn those into an independent kind of snippet or highlight clip that you can share anywhere just by sharing and pasting a link. And so it's that like making the content and freeing up the good parts, the juicy highlights, and making those you know easy to push into any of the other channels where you communicate. That's been, I would say, one of the main draws for why people are using Grain. And so the overall problem we're, we're trying to help solve is we're trying to help teams to share understanding in a world where that is increasingly difficult to do. And we believe that if you can have a reality-based discussion of being able to easily highlight or, or discuss or share a moment as it actually occurred, as it was said in a recording, that that does a, goes a huge, really long way of being able to effectively communicate and effectively understand each other and ultimately make decisions that result in good outcomes. Excellent. And who's using it? Like, you know, you've had a really successful launch on uh, Product Hunt. That was what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah, it was about about three weeks ago. And uh, yeah, it was great. And so what we found in our discovery process was that what I was looking for is, okay, there's something clearly amazing here. But for the first nine months, I mean, Grain's two years old now, and for the first nine months, we were building a product and prototype, and we didn't really know who it was for. We kind of thought it was for like team meetings to make it team meetings more effective, but we, you know, we ran into some issues with how hard team meetings are to build products for, and we thought it might be for sales or customer success, and we you know, ran into you know, issues there as well. And what we realized was that you know, there's this very specific persona that was really resonating with Grain and what they wanted to do you know, and with that value proposition. And what we call them is, um, we call them extractors, but really what they are is they're listeners. Like you are an extractor. You're asking me questions. You're collecting that information, ultimately with the intent to share it. And so that is who it's for. And so, you know, people like marketers have absolutely loved grain. Researchers, anytime there's an interview setting where I'm trying to understand a qualitative problem by talking to either a user or a potential user or or someone on the team, and I'm trying to collect information and make sense of it, and then ultimately share it, that information, in the most compelling way possible. And what we believe and, and has been compelling to people is that if you can share the source material directly by just cutting it into the parts that matter, that that is dramatically more effective than a kind of, you know, a text-based summary or a jotted down note that's trying to, you know, capture what was said. Instead, just share what was actually said. And so, that's where it's been really, really resonant as founders of companies, consultants that are trying to make sure they understand like the needs of their clients and then effectively communicate those needs as said by the clients to those who are executing on a client or a project. Those are just a few of the use cases that have really stood out. Yeah, look, and you know, like I said, I've been using it 
probably for six months, let's say six months. And uh, a couple of ways that I use it, and I'd love to get your thoughts and builds on this, but uh, one way is with clients. So, you know, I mentor clients and we might have an hour session. And yes, I take notes and we track it in a, you know, in a sauna, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing better than me. I, a little box comes up for that annotation. You just, you know, hit a particular part. Then you go back and it gives you a transcription at the end and it's got that highlight marked. marked. So you can just read the transcription, just highlight any of that and then send that as a note. So if we've got an hour session, you know, where I'm mentoring someone, I can say, look, the specific action about this, so it might be around your LinkedIn profile or it might mm-hmm. be around your sales system. I can just grab that and say that's the exact part where you can go and learn from that or you can go back and revise that. So I've found that to be hugely successful versus what I used to do is tell my team at you know, the 34-minute mark, can you go and grab this part of the video, which was you know, hugely inefficient. So that's one key way. You know, any thoughts on on that or have you seen other clients use it in a similar way? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the most resonant things in terms of jobs to be done or value propositions that we've heard from people is, is basically exactly what you're describing. And it really is kind of bottling up influence is a good way to put it. Like I'm trying to influence somebody else to understand or to do something in a certain way. And being able to share the source material or what they actually said, how they said it with their tone, with their intonation, you know, with their video, if it's available, is, is just really so much more powerful to move my agenda or to influence others than if it feels just coming from me. Because what you're doing when you distill something down into just notes without any source material is you're introducing bias. And whether you want to recognize it or not, the other person you're trying to influence knows that too. Did they really say it that way? Or did they really think about this? Or do they really care about that as much as you think that they do? And you kind of remove all doubt when you just, you know, are able to very easily and in a matter of seconds share what was actually said instead of asking people to trudge through an hour long recording to find minute 34 52. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I remember way back at Coca Cola, we'd always have disputes with delivery drivers and, and customers, right? And the customer would say, one way and the driver would say exactly the opposite. So even back then I used to say, well, just record it, right? Yeah. Record it. And then at least, you know, we've got that unbiased view. And, you know, I know in courts, they often say, if you've got a blue car, you know, there was evidence where the person, the witness would say it was a blue car when it was clearly red, but because they got a blue car, they were biased by the fact that they've got a blue car. So yeah, I love the fact that it is what it is, you know, Another great way, like you've talked about teams, which is excellent, but another great way is, you know, sales calls, like the same thing. Like, you know, I think most of us now are all trying to add as much value as we can in the sales call. So often right. I'll have piece where, you know, I'll add value. And then once again, I can just send that component. Yeah. Look, you know, obviously I swear by the product. It's been the best. Thanks, tech. Paul. Yeah. It's been the best tech or well, the most used one for the year. And, and I'm a guy that, had a tech consulting company that we sold technology to agencies. So every night I've got a daily habit of going through Product Hunt and AppSumo and wherever else I can get (laughs) uh, tech and I'm constantly testing new ones. But I've got to say, that's why I wanted to get you on the show because if you're listening now, you use Zoom, which most of us are doing all the time, and you just think of all that time wasted either by not communicating properly 
or by going back and trying to get a part of a recording, you know, you will not be happier with grain. And, and for you, you know, you've, like you said, you've had three successful startups. You know, you've got a lot of experience under your belt, but how do you build new clients? Like what's the best way for you guys so far in your two-year journey to build new clients? Yeah, absolutely. I think for us, it, it really has been an effort of empathy and listening. Like you have to start by um, understanding what people want. And so, right, for us, like our clients come in, we're not necessarily providing, you know, direct, it's software as a service, right? But it's the same idea, whether it's, you know, a human as a service or software as a service that ultimately you have to understand, you know, needs. And so I was just writing a blog post about this this morning, but it's been a really important part of our journey. And I feel like if we would have done a better job earlier on of understanding really who the product was for, who needs this service, right? Like who, what is the actual value? What's really more importantly, what's the job to be done? Like what's the problem they really need solved as opposed to kind of coming at it already with a solution baked in and assuming that because, you know, you're the next Steve Jobs, that people are, you know, just going to love the solution that you came up with. And, you know, there's a guy named Marty Kagan. He was early at eBay as a product manager. And he's kind of one of the zeitgeisty people in, in, in software products. And, and he says there's really two inconvenient truths of product. And one is that the vast majority of your ideas are bad or wrong. <laughs> and number two is that it's going to take a lot more iterations to get it right. Even when you are, you know, when you do have a good idea, then you would like. And so I think that's true, whether that's of a service or whether that's of a product is that, you know, really do have to start from that position of humility of just trying to understand. And what I try to do specifically is to understand existing behavior. And then when I move to the point where I've got a product solution, build the product that requires the least possible amount of behavior change from your client. What is it that lets them kind of get the benefit that they're looking for while changing the behavior the least amount? And over time, if you earn their trust, and if you, you know, are able to really solve that problem, then you have the opportunity to really start to kind of move them more into towards your vision. But I feel like the biggest mistake I've made in the past, whether it be services or product, is kind of being too idealistic to start and just you know, expecting people to be you know, willing to go to the world that I want them to live in. And instead of kind of you know, really starting where they're at and gradually moving them towards you know, this better place. Yeah, look, I think that's so true. And I know the Coke company, you know, they were brilliant at, at consumer research. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about their brands, but the reason their brands were so strong is because they really understood consumers and, you know, exactly mm -hmm. like you said. And then the other thing is that least amount of change. And, you know, you, we all know how hard it is to change habits. So, yeah, I think that's a key lesson. And, uh, no, I must admit, I'm often guilty of, you know, packing too much in and I'm working on an online course at the moment. And the same mm -hmm. thing, I just had the realization that, you know, what, what is that simple outcome that people want and give them the, right. yeah, the minimal amount of information to do that. And they've got to watch it at three times speed as well, Mike. That's, uh, that's Absolutely. That's, that's, <laughs> it's important so I don't take them at three. I'm so glad that like that was the first question that we just like got that out there that I'm a, that we have that in common. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So that's sort of how you really understand the problem and go about it. But as far as, you know, paid traffic versus organic, like, you know, what's worked for you guys? What can, can we learn from, you know, the growth that you've had? It kind of ties back a little bit to the emotional intelligence stuff that we were talking about is like one of my, the weird things about me is I just, I don't know. I guess I don't mind being vulnerable in public. Like 
what's the point in trying to pretend like, you know, I've done everything right, you know, got it all figured out because I don't and I still am not there. And so that vulnerability, I almost kind of use it from a marketing position in that like on Twitter, I'm, I'm always talking about my mistakes. I'm always talking about things that I've learned, things that I can do better. And I've kind of, I don't know that that's a phrase like vulnerability marketing, <laughs> but it's like authenticity marketing is a good way to put it. And the way to be authentic yeah. is to be vulnerable. And like, that's been huge for us. Like it really has been important to just kind of be a relatable human being that is on, you know, that is the kind of founder of this software product and talk about what we're trying to do and what, what we believe about the world. And, and there's just a certain amount of resonance that is beneficial there. And then the other big one, because you got to see somewhere, the other big one has been that the product led growth itself is kind of the one that I'm noodling on right now is that, you know, for a runaway kind of successful SaaS product, you tend to have this kind of bottoms up motion where usage of the product begets more usage of the product. And so, Paul, I mean, you're a great example of the word of mouth version of this is that I don't know how many people you've referred to grain, but it's at least 10. And they all, what's cool, Paul, is they're all like excited to tell us that you referred them to us. And so like that word of mouth has been huge. And I feel like building a product that started from that foundation of listening, you know, is we worked really hard to kind of earn your trust. And if we earn your trust, then you're out there you know, telling other people about it and then we get new users and then they love it and then they get new users. And I would say that word of mouth has been our primary driver while we work on some of these other, you know, funnels as well. Yeah. And for probably the, I don't know, let's say the hundreds of conversations I've had with everyone, I apologize because I do talk about your product at the very start of every call because I always ask people permission. They're okay to record it. And I don't know if it's been a, a really clever marketing trick, right? <laughs> I have to be honest. We kind of fell into that one and we were like, that works actually in our favor for sure. <laughs> well, the bit specifically I'm talking about is live, right? So, uh-huh, so often uh-huh. when it pops up, it'll have live, right? And yep. I'll see people change. They'll sort of look at the camera different. <laughs> like, you know, some people, you know, fiddle with their hair or whatever, because they think, oh my God, this is live. Where's it streaming? And I can Where's see it streaming that. to? Right. I can see that sort of fear and I say, hey, it's not live. It's okay. But, you know, that live, you know, what was the rationale around having live as the key call yeah. action there? So it really started with a technical implementation in that, you know, rather than trying to convince people to leave Zoom that they love and adopt yet another video conference platform, like Zoom works great and they have an API. So like, let's extend that value of a product that you already use and love, but they are limited with regards to us as a third party, you know, service provider, how we can get access to the stream of information. And so, for example, if you just use a regular cloud recording, it's very like minimal, it's up in the corner it has this tiny little blinking dot and it's not super intrusive. But the problem is, is that the Zoom cloud can take multiple hours to process and get that recording back. So if you're trying to, you know, share information from that call and we're trying to help people create the behavior of creating highlight clips and sending them out soon after the call is over, that delay of 45 minutes to multiple hours is really a killer. And so the kind of workaround is that there's this ability inside of Zoom to have your account create a live stream that is really designed to go to something like YouTube. (laughs) And so they've labeled it as such where it's like live, like it kind of almost almost this negative connotation of going, oh, or it's not a negative connotation, but a false association to make people think that it's going to a live place when it's not. So we've had to really work with what little we have to work there to get the live stream so we can instantly make the video available to you afterwards. And there's a little label next to it where we've iterated on the language that should be in there. But what we've landed on was putting the host's name in and saying it's their private recording app. And uh, that helps to kind of ease some tensions that it's not going to like the public internets. It just happens to be a mechanism that allows us, the third party, to get the 
recording as fast as humanly possible so you can finish the work to do of uh, slicing up and sharing and synthesizing that information. Well, okay. Well, I still go on the thing that is brilliant marketing, right? Because it made every host talk about the product Well, <laughs> within I a mean, couple of minutes of a call. No, that, that's right. And it really comes down to earning value though, right? Because if the value of getting that 45 minute, or, you know, if, if you're getting that recording back from 45 minutes down to zero, then it's easier to be like, okay, well, I'm going to explain this product at the beginning. And if you don't like to do that, you can turn it off and you, you know, just use a regular cloud recording and you can wait 45 minutes until, you know, you get your recording from Zoom. But uh, it definitely has like, over time, we felt like, oh no, like this is not ideal. But over time, uh, as people have become more comfortable with it and we've earned that right and the value proposition, it definitely does work to our advantage to become a bit of a talking point of what is this thing. And a little bit of a preview of where we're going is that we believe that in most scenarios, if you're a participant in the meeting, the experience should be a lot more collaborative than it is right now. Like, and it should be a lot more share, like default to share than it is right now. Like we want to make it easier for a host to be able to share the recording and share the transcript and share like the benefits of this service with all of the participants of the meeting, regardless of whether or not they're a grain user or whether or not they've downloaded the application. And so that kind of live label is furthermore an opportunity that we're, we're continuing to kind of work on with regards to kind of growing usage of the product through usage of the product. Great. Well, look, the last question I want to ask in this build section is about Jake. Like you said, you know, business partners, co-founders, you know, some work exceptionally well. You know, I think the majority maybe not so. And I think you already had at uh, Mission U, I think, a difference in, in partners where you uh, ended up leaving. You know, what makes, I don't, I don't know many brothers that uh, work together and do startups. You know, how do you guys make it work? What does Jake do? What do you do? How do you make it work? Yeah, so we're very fortunate, especially I'm fortunate that I kind of like learned my emotional intelligence lessons on strangers that I had not known before they became my business partners. <laughs> <laughs> this is not like family, obviously. So uh, Degreed is the one that, you know, didn't end up working out you know, oh, uh, as far as personality. And then Mission U was, I think I learned a lot of lessons by then. And my co-founder and I are, are very close friends. And the, but with Grain, I had two great co-founding relationships in hindsight, you know, two great co-founders is a good way to put it. Really, really smart, thoughtful, amazing people to work with. When I thought about who I wanted to work with, I really had one person at the top of my list. It was my brother, Jake. And the reasons why is just because we've always been each other's kind of confidants. We've always been, he was the first person that I would call. And when I was dealing with startup stuff, he was, I was the first person he'd call when he was dealing with his startup stuff. And, and, uh, we kind of, had this conversation where we were talking, I was, you know, thinking about starting something in, in the video space. And after Mission U got acquired and I was describing kind of what we built at Mission U and he said, Oh my gosh, you built that, like that video recording repository and, and, and sharing. And he's like, I had that exact idea the other day. <laughs> like we need this. And, and I was thinking about how important something like that would be. And so definitely some serendipity and opportunity that we were in the kind of had the same idea and impetus and, and desire to build this at the same time. And you know, as far as, you know, managing the family relationship is easy because, you know, we've already worked through so much. We were roommates in college, so that definitely helped. Like I kind of got my, like, I'm three years older than him. So I got my big brothering out in college. He very quickly as a freshman, when I was like a junior, <laughs> he very quickly like put his foot down and was like, no, you're not big brothering me. We're peers now. And so we've been peers ever since. And the last thing I'll say on the topic is that when you've known someone your whole life, you know, the stakes are higher. So you want to make sure that you're, you know, bringing your best self to the table. Um, and you're not just being kind of a jerk and, and letting yourself, you know, lose that. And sometimes it's actually easier to do that because you know each other so well, but there is a certain amount of just, I know how to communicate with him. He knows how to communicate with me. 
I don't have to worry about him judging me. He doesn't have to be worried about me judging him. And I, maybe my insecurities were large in my prior two co-founding relationships, but I was always worried about like how my co-founder would evaluate me and whether or not they'd want to keep working with me and, and it, or whether my performance was there. And, and that just kind of losing, lowering that pressure of just like knowing that, you know, I could communicate effectively and that we were long-term partners has been like the one of the most powerful advantages that we have as a company, as a team is that Jake and I just can communicate so well together. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, look, you can find more about Mike and Grain at grain.co. But before we go into the live section, I would like to talk about our assessment to help you work out if you're going to have a high or low seven-figure business in 2021. Go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash assessment and answer the 15 questions in three minutes. Based on your results, you will get either a free 45-minute strategy call to walk you through a clear plan or a chance to be on the podcast just like Mike. Go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash assessment. So the next section is the live section, as I said. So what are some daily habits that make you successful, Mike? Yeah, I feel like for me, one of the biggest things that I've had to learn over time is to use my calendar as one opportunity for me to have to think less throughout the day is that, you know, if I can in advance, make sure that my calendar, I just religiously go through my calendar, making sure that I'm optimizing every meeting, every session, that any blank sessions that don't have meetings, which I try to get as many of those as I can, that I have purpose-filled time, that I know what I want to work on, on in those specific times to accomplish goals on a given week. And I would say since I've adopted that, you know, just kind of rigorous application of those hours in a day, it has made a huge difference of my ability to just, you know, go get more done and be less stressed out about it. Where anxiety for me comes when there's a huge backlog of things to do and I uh, don't know when I'm going to do them. And even though the backlog still remains huge, knowing that I've like been thoughtful about when I'm going to do things kind of helps me to just know that like, look, there's a limited, there's a finite amount of time in the day. And like I have, you know, mapped out what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it. And then I try to stick with that. And has really helped me to like actually reduce my anxiety levels and increase my output. Excellent. And, you know, you spoke about Stephanie before. I think, you know, a lot of what's happened is transferred from, you know, you moving from Utah with her to the Bay Area. But she's listening right now. Okay. So what would you like to say to her about the support she's given you through this journey? I'm an emotional guy. That That came on fast. Look, man, I mean... It wouldn't be possible. So we go back to leaving my job. She had an amazing job. She brought me to San Francisco. I've just been following her. And when I quit my job to do that first startup, she paid the bills. She, we didn't have any kids yet. And she didn't think twice. She never questioned whether or not it was the right you know, decision. She just supported me. And she said, this, this is what you believe in. This is what you want to do. Then like, let's you know, do this together. We've always approached everything together. And so there's literally no way that I could have taken a risk that I have in my career that have led to the positive outcomes without her and without her support. And there's a, you know, one other funny story there is that she also, she's not just on like, Oh, I'm always, you know, going to you know tell you to just follow your dreams. Like when mission you, before I met my co-founder, Adam, I was like, it's time. I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to like start something. And she pushed back hard on me. And she was like, Mike, you are not ready. Like you don't have an idea. <laughs> you don't have a co-founder. You don't have, and she, what she helped me identify was just like, it was really kind of an ego driven thing that I was trying to do. I was just like, Oh, it's time to be the CEO because you know, it's, it's uh, that's what I wanted to do this. 
And instead she's like, you need to find a co-founder. You need to like be the co-pilot again. And you need to like, you know, learn more. She's like uh, my uh, Yoda of wisdom in my life. And also just, uh, you know, relentless support and, you know, the three kids. And she just, we're fortunate that what she wants to do, even though she was a venture, you know, worked in venture capital, she's a CPA. She chooses to work at home and that's where she wants to put her focus is, is on doing the kids. And and I'm fortunate that that allows me to, you know, know that kids are being well taken care of and I can focus on my startup. The next section is the give section. So what's a charity or community you're passionate about and why? Yeah, so I had the fortunate Min Mission Yu, my last co-founder. He had started a nonprofit called Pencils of Promise. And we had the fortunate opportunity to work together after he left Pencils of Promise. But I've always just had a, such a profound respect for the organization that he founded and the impact that it has. And so the premise of, of Pencils of Promise is an organization that helps build schools in, 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 in developing countries. And so a donation to Pencils of Promise helps you know, kids to uh, attend school and, and to improve that learning environment where they otherwise wouldn't. And so I've gotten a decent amount of exposure to that organization through him. And it's something that I've just always, when I think about charitable giving, it's been places where it'll really make an impact and it'll really have an impact. And I think that organization does a great job of turning donations into outcome. And the thing I care about more than anything else in terms of things you can invest in is education. I just feel like human potential, especially in developing countries, will make a huge impact. And so I recommend contributing to that organization. Pencils yeah. of Promise. And look, a charity that I give all my book proceeds to and also a portion of my revenue is the Purple House. So you can go to purplehouse.org.au to find out more. So the last is the rapid fire section. So what I'll do is ask you some questions to get rapid fire responses. So you're ready for that, Mike? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. So what are your top three personal effectiveness tips? is record everything. That's probably a huge surprise. (laughs) I recorded everything. I always ask for permission, but it's worth the like slight awkwardness to record everything. Number two is exercise daily. Better phrase to sign up for a race that will force you to (laughs) like be committed to exercise daily because I don't and I didn't. Only when I signed up for a marathon five years ago and then I signed up for this like half Ironman that's now turned into a full Ironman. And now I'm on a training schedule and it goes into my calendar like I was talking about and I just exercise daily and I don't think about it and I love it and it really helps my like endorphins and mood. And then the last one is just to be purposeful before you act. Like really think about like what you want before you just go after it. And I think that I've had a lot of people in my life that have helped me to do this, an investor recently and and, and my wife as well. But just be purposeful before you just like rush into doing something. Well, other than grain.co, what's a piece of tech that's essential for running your own business? Yeah. So obviously other than, can I say Zoom? Just kidding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I would say that Asana is something that's come into my world recently that I've gone from this world where I kind of just keep all of my tasks in this backlog and Apple notes and moved it into a more structured, you know, integrated system in Asana. And it's made a tremendous difference in my ability to fit, stay focused on the right things. And so uh, I've been a big fan of Asana recently. And uh, obviously, you know, you get a lot of great ideas from TV and movie watching it at three times. But what are some other sources of new ideas for you? I mean, when it comes to grain, it's our engineers, <laughs> like our engineers and our designers. I feel like, you know, oftentimes product decisions are made at like the executive level and at the product manager level. And for us, when it comes to just solving problems, it is the people who are closest to the customers and the people who are building the product. Like, giving a voice to our engineers, giving a voice to our support people and our customer success and that everybody has the ability to kind of advocate for what should be important, you know, what we should focus on as a company. I feel like what has been great about Grain with regards to the good ideas in it 
very few of them have originated from me. It's just listening to the people we hired to be great and they are great and we just have to empower them to, to contribute. Well, that to me sums up a great leader. So the last question, and it's a big one, that's why I leave it to the end, but what impact do you want to leave on the world? Yeah, I think so. For me, I feel like I want to leave an impact where we are able to, I want to build companies and tools that promote human connectedness and shared understanding. Like that's what matters in life is like, we are human social creatures that want to understand and we want to be understood. One of the best medicines that you can possibly have is to be empathetic towards another person and to understand what they're going through. And it makes you feel better. It makes you feel, um, it's, it's an incredible, it's been baked into all the religions from the, the beginning of mankind is there's something just truly powerful about creating environments and tools and products and teams where the goal is to understand each other and to connect ultimately as human beings and to not only understand, but to be understood. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, the default mechanisms that are put in place between shareholder agreements and legal documents and whatever else, oftentimes they encourage us to put guards up and the tools we use as well, they encourage us to put guards up. And I feel like if we bias towards a desire to understand others and to be understood that ultimately, you know, we will live happier, fuller and more productive lives. And so I'm trying to build, you know, teams and and companies that where that is a, a focal point. Well, look, uh, first, I've got to thank you for being so vulnerable on this podcast and you know, sharing so much wisdom. And also, thanks for helping me have better human connection and everyone else that's used grain as well through this awkward period of COVID. You know, I think your, right. the timing of your product could not be better for us trying to have more human connections in a world where, you know, that is, I suppose, the, the disease is trying to push us apart so it's been awesome yeah, having you more on. than one disease there's diseases of viruses and there's diseases of ideas <laughs> yeah it's true true we've got to battle all of them through just uh, <laughs> understanding and listening to each other yeah. true well look uh, you know you can get grain for free you can uh, do that at grain.co and also for all everyone listening now you can get a month of pro the pro account for free if you go to grain.co forward slash b LG, but uh, brilliant to have you on today, Mike. And thanks again for sharing all your wisdom. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Paul. I appreciate the thoughtful questions and the opportunity to connect with your audience. Great. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye. What a humble and authentic founder Mike is. Just such a great guy. I love grain and I hope you do too. Please test it or try it out. You can get the fully transcribed show notes at Paul Higgins Mentoring dot com forward slash podcast what is your biggest takeaway from mike please share on your socials mentioning mike and grain.co if you believe someone you know would benefit from the show and really i can't think of anyone that uses zoom that wouldn't please share it with them they will love you for it fill out the assessment to know if you're going to have a high or low seven figure business in 2021 just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash assessment a link will be in the show notes Please take action to build, live, and give. Thanks for listening to the Build, Live, Give podcast. If you like what you heard, please share it and leave us a review. It would mean the world to us.